Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'm your guys who explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. In honor of the state's 200th birthday, our Missouri will feature a series throughout 2021 entitled Bicentennial Book Club, which discusses award-winning publications that detail the state's diverse history, as well as the stories behind the stories featured within their pages. Our guests today are Antonio F. Holland and Gary R. Kramer. Dr. Holland holds a PhD in history from the University of Missouri and is a professor emeritus in history at Lincoln University. Gary R. Kramer holds a PhD in history from American University and presently serves as the executive director of the State Historical Society of Missouri. Both men are esteemed scholars and have published many books on the subject of Missouri history and Missouri's Black experience. And they are joining me today to discuss a book they co-published with the late Lorenzo Green, Missouri's Black Heritage. Welcome to our Missouri, gentlemen. Glad to be here. In looking at this book and, and, and thinking about Missouri's Black heritage, obviously the two of you are joining me today to talk about it, but you know, Lorenzo Green was a significant part of that book as well. So tell me about your relationship with him and, and how you uh, developed the book with him. I think it was in 1972 that Dr. Green had a heart attack. And I was, I was working as his research assistant right. at the time. It might've even been 71. And all of a sudden he was, he was out and I was asked to take over a couple of his classes as a, as a graduate student, which uh, I was no Lorenzo Green. <laughs> I, I, I had uh, great trepidation about doing that, but it was kind of a crisis. And, uh, and it, was, it was about that time that Dr. Green was approached by the Secretary of State, James Kirkpatrick, to write a, a, a history of, at, at the time, the, the title of the article was uh, Negro. The Negro in Missouri History, history. 1719 to 1970. 70, right. And uh, at, at, this was for the 1973-74 state manual that was, I believe, wasn't it, Tony dedicated? Yeah. The manual was dedicated to Lincoln University that year. Yeah, and it was uh, the, the blue book, they call it. Uh, yeah, the blue book, the official state manual of Missouri. And so I, I think Dr. Green had accepted this uh, assignment of doing this. It might have been before he had the heart attack. Yeah. And, uh, and so he enlisted Tony and I to help uh, prepare a draft of that article, which really became the foundation for the book uh, that was published in 1980, Missouri's Black Heritage. Tony, what, what do you remember about that? You may remember. I remember that, that was quite a journey. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you and I, it was supposed to be 50 pages. You and I split it up um, and we both did 50 pages. We gave it to Dr. Green to edit and then it turned out to be 150 pages. 
<laughs> and uh, the Secretary of State's office made us sit down in uh, the editor Thelma Goodwin's office and cut it back to 50 pages, as I recall. Yeah. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't let us leave. <laughs> yeah, they called us. Uh, there was, it was uh, John Ashford, who was the uh, Deputy Secretary of State. And, and uh, I should explain that by, by uh, we, we spent a significant amount of time working on this, at least over the summer and probably- Over the, su over the summer, yeah. Uh, probably more than that. Yeah, because- About, the, about <laughs> the time that we were close to being finished with it, Dr. Green sort of resurrected as somewhat healthy. And uh, as Tony said, he sort of took over the manuscript and started doing this editing that was really more rewriting than editing. And uh, I think Tony and I got a call one day. I think it was it was probably only a month or two before the book was actually supposed to come out. And we were told to come down to the Secretary of State's office in the Capitol and you will not leave the building <laughs> until you get this thing cut down to a manageable size because there was only a limited number of pages to be allowed in the blue book. Yeah, and uh, I mean- Doc wasn't very happy about that. Yeah, suddenly the Civil War turned into a paragraph. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because at, at the time, uh, Doc had spent an enormous amount of time, years, uh, working on what uh, he had hoped to publish as a book on uh, the Negro soldier in the Civil War. He had done lots of, I don't even know, I assume those manuscripts are probably still in his papers, Tony, but yeah, uh, he had done a lot of work, uh, kind of like uh, this was a, a takeoff of Benjamin Quarles' uh, The Negro and the American Revolution. I think Doc was going to do something similar to that for the Civil War. And uh, you know, I, again, I mean, he just knew so much about so many things. Yeah, he, he couldn't stand the thought of those things not, not being in the manuscript. Yeah, I think and he so actually, just grew like Topsy. It, uh, it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think he actually did that Civil War thing back in the, in the 60s, you know, because Lincoln was at that time coming up on his 100th anniversary. Yeah. And I think he, he had hoped that they would... Um, sponsor it and uh they decided i mean from i guess for monetary reasons not to and uh they came out with the that first issue of the soldier's dream that was done by the librarian at lincoln ap marshall yeah yeah ap marshall yeah you know. yeah so that was actually when we did that that um article for the blue book that was really the beginning of the missouri black heritage because I think we had got together and we, we had made the decision of whether we would just write for 50 pages or whether we would just write, you know, as much as we could and then figure, you know, that we would cut it down as such. And that was the beginning. And so we did have this, even though we did cut it down to 50 pages, we still did have this 150 page typewritten roughly manuscript and such and I think you took the lead Gary on on getting with the foreign press wasn't it uh, in St. Louis 
Yeah, it was Foreign Press, a guy named Irby Young. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember how we even got hooked up with that guy. But, uh, and, and this was the forerunner of what would, would later become the Harlan Davidson Press. Yeah. And, and as, as I recall, we, uh, the outline of the book, I think, Tony, I think we used Quarles's outline I th- for I think you used the Quarles. on the making of America, which right. was at that time one of the popular textbooks for black history courses. Yeah, it was small. It was yeah. small. Yeah. Uh, and so we, uh, I, I think, I mean, geez, that's uh, 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago. More than 40 years ago. Um, and so we, 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 uh, we used Quarles' book as an outline. And then because Quarles' book uh, didn't go up quite as far as, as we were then, I think, I think the, 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 last, uh, the last census figures we used, I think the last chapter, well, actually, I've got the book right here. Uh, I think the last chapter took us up to the 1970 census. And then we had a concluding chapter yeah. uh, that included a lot of, uh, Kind of short biographies of yeah of personalities yeah personalities and yeah. then we did an appendix of uh, black elected officials right at the time um, I remember that <laughs> but but again we we ran into the same problem we had run into before and I think again I think Doc had some health issues again toward uh, before we published this because we, we had another kind of period where you and I did a lot of work on this and then doc got a hold of it and uh, started doing more editing and adding and so forth and once again we we kind of ran into a problem with the publisher who kept saying you know guys we got to get this out and i think it was uh i think the real push was in the fall of 1979 because they wanted it out pretty early in uh in uh, spring of 1980 yeah so it, it eventually, we yeah. got it out. Well, in thinking about, as you talked about what brings the article that becomes research and all becomes the book in 1980, as people who are, as individuals who are writing that book and doing the research, I mean, what, what materials are you going through? Is it secondary sources? Is it primary sources? What are you looking at in order to construct your parts in that, in that book? Well, there weren't that many secondary sources to look at. Uh, we spent an enormous amount of time in the newspaper library at the State Historical yeah, Society. I would say that was probably one of our major sources of discovery. Uh, there were a few articles. Uh, some there, there were some things, some, some people were doing research at the time in Black history topics. I think maybe uh, Lawrence Christensen's dissertation on St. Louis was mm-hmm about coming out and he had published an article or two in the Missouri Historical Review, a guy named Larry Grothaus had done a dissertation on the Negro in politics in Missouri. Donnie Bellamy had done a thing on free blacks. I think, I think maybe even done a dissertation on free blacks. There were yeah. some things on black education. Education, yeah. But there was really relatively, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me, uh, how the field has grown in the 40 years since Missouri's Black Heritage came out. It's also amazing to me that Missouri's Black Heritage 
in its revised edition still remains after more than 40 years, the only uh, effort at interpreting the black experience in Missouri from the beginning to the present. Yeah, that wasn't, um, uh, in fact, I know like, um, well, we visited, well, the historical society in Columbia, there were a lot of resources there. There was some, um, what was it? There, one of the things that was interesting there, remember, because that's how we found that Foster article was they had a WPA index index, yeah. you know, and in the one, and I guess in the Jeff City newspaper, they had a reference to a graduation at Lincoln. And when he got to it, it was just the, you know, just this, you know, the numbers of graduation, but it was on that same paper that this uh, speech by the first president of Lincoln on black education in Missouri uh, appeared. And this is uh, reconstruction. So this is virtually the only overall statement as I, I don't know if, that, if, if that's what you overall statement as to the status of black education in Missouri at that time. Yeah, this, this was an address by Richard Baxter Foster delivered in 1869 in, a, in St. Louis to a meeting of public educators throughout yeah. the state. Education. And Tony, I hadn't really thought about it, but that is the first publication uh, in the Missouri Historical Review that you and I ever did. Yeah. Uh, we edited that document extensively, Tony and I, and uh, published it as an article in the Missouri Historical Review. And I know it was the first thing I ever had published, apart from the uh, state manual articles. Probably came out about the same time, 1974, 75 as the uh, yeah probably uh, just a little bit after manual that. articles before yeah. the book was published before the yeah book was probably after that because we had to do i mean i give gary credit for that at first i thought i just wanted to i just wanted us to to kind of publish the doc, the document and gary said no we need to, we need to we need to edit this more and uh it's pretty heavily that, annotated yeah, annotated, and that proved to be very useful in a sense because there were some things that really actually needed to be explained and 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 kind of flushed out more and such. And so, uh, so that stood up pretty good once we we got it done. Yeah, that was just I don't know what it was a year or so after, I guess mid seventies. I'm thinking 75, maybe it came out. Something like 75, yeah, I think that's probably right. So it probably was within a couple of years of the uh, manual article. But like I say, it was sort of, yeah, it was, even though Lincoln had a very good collection of African-American resources, and they did have uh, good collections of newspapers as such, uh, you know, like the Kansas City Call. And we had some good luck in terms of like the um, the editor of the St. Louis American, Daniel Sweets, was a graduate of Lincoln, and he let us go in and look at their photo file, and pretty much could take whatever we wanted out of it, which you know was extraordinarily generous. <laughs> yeah. I think there was more concentration on St. Louis than any other place, but not that much. That, that yeah, a lot of 
newspaper work. <laughs> yeah, we pretty much spent the summer doing that. Yeah. And thinking about when it comes out in 1980, you talked a little bit about the state of the field for African-American history, but I mean, how was the book received not only by academics and scholars, but by the general public as well? I think it was, I think it was pretty well received. Like I said, it was the only thing of its nature at that time. And I recall getting letters from high school teachers and college professors, you know, that were favorable and such, so. It was uh, reviewed nicely in the Missouri Historical Review, as I recall. I think maybe Mark Christensen wrote a review of it. I'm not absolutely certain of that. Yeah. But as Tony said, we, we, we were flooded. Tony, you I'm sure you remember, uh, you and I talked to a lot of student secondary schools, especially right. over the next year or two. We had a lot of requests uh, from schools, especially in St. Louis and Kansas City. But I remember we talked to schools in Columbia and Jeff City uh, and a variety of other places. I think people who asked us to come talk to their students because of the book and the publicity surrounding it. Yeah. I think there was even a book note on it in uh, Ebony Magazine, which was, you know, unusual for it being a, a, a state study mm -hmm. and such. So it was, I think it was pretty well, it was well received, but I think a uh, part of it was that it was unique. I don't think we realized, I, I, I don't think we uh, ourselves even realized the uniqueness of it. I think what we were doing was expanding upon what we had done in the man with the manual article. Although it was obvious that uh, they wanted a book. And one of the big differences was, uh, well, outside of more research, we had to find many more pictures as such, because it was a book where we didn't have to do so much for the article. In thinking about from 1980, to the revision in 1993, obviously Dr. Green passes away in 1988. What brought about that revision? Why was there a second edition come out in 1993? Oh, you know, I well, I think that was something we were actually planning on with even with Dr. Green because we had actually purchased the rights from the, uh, you know, the, the um, organization that had taken over from foreign press. So I think that was our intention to expand upon it. And then, and, and then of course, we, we did have Dr. Green's death, you know, but I don't know, I, you know, uh, of course, even with that happening, it, 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 it was sort of like, um, you know, I've seen a lot of textbooks where, you know, have multi-authors and, you know, and one would pass and then they, you know, they would continue it. I mean, we see it even today. Um, uh, John Hope Franklin and his uh, From Slavery to Freedom, the last edition, he had, he he uh, was passed. You know, I mean, the I think his publishers had uh, hooked him up with um, uh, Professor Higginbotham at Har Harvard. I think uh, they wanted a woman, a female, because he had had co-authors before, but I think they'd always been his students. But they hooked her up and this last edition came out and was he was, you know, he had already, he had passed. I think uh, a couple of things uh, 
also the University of Missouri Press was uh, then being led by Beverly Jarrett, who was yeah. a, uh, somebody who'd come from L the LSU Press, had a lot of contacts with black scholars, including John O. Franklin. She published several of, of Dr. Franklin's books and she prodded us to, uh, to produce a revised edition. Plus, between 1980 and 1993, there was just so much scholarship on yeah. the Black experience in Missouri and in the country. Yeah. And the other thing, I, I, personally, I had, I had started in the late 70s doing uh, Black historic site survey work right. in the state of Missouri. And that exposed me to a whole new way of thinking about the Black experience. And, I had researched a lot of black communities, both urban and rural. Uh, so there was just a, a lot more available and a lot of new stories to be told. Um, and that, that led us to, uh, to, do the, to do the book. Yeah, there had been some new research in, uh, I think slavery under the Spanish and the French had been done. Uh, there was more on civil rights in St. Louis, I had been influenced uh, by, um, when she, she was born in, in Southeast Missouri, oh, um, Darlene Clark Hines, who had done a lot of work on black women as such. And uh, even though I had no expertise in that area, I had done some work on Missouri slave narratives in which there were a lot of women, you know, uh, female slaves that had given voice in those narratives. And I felt like they should, you know, be included or needed to be included in the, in the you know, the uh, revised edition you know, such. So like I said, it was a lot of new scholarship and a lot of new emphasis that had come along. Well, one of the, emphasis, new emphasis was on rural Missouri, I think. Um, you know, the, the 1980 edition, as Tony indicated earlier, was heavily St. Louis, a fair amount of Kansas City, but there wasn't a whole lot in outstate Missouri. And, uh, you know, one of the things we discovered was just that uh, though by, by the late 20th century, most Black Missourians lived in St. Louis, Kansas City, or the Boot Hill. There had been a time in Missouri's history when Blacks had lived in all of Missouri's 114 counties in St. Louis. And I think, uh, I think the 1993 edition reflects that much more uh, outstate Missouri outside, than, yeah, than the earlier edition Missouri. did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I will, I, I have a, Occasionally, have people that will mention, you know, that you know that their community was referenced, you know, like Tipton or uh, some smaller communities as such. Uh, so there was, uh, yeah, much more that was available, yeah, in terms of outstate. What do you think is the legacy of the book? I mean, how is it? Do you think inspired scholars since we'll say 1993 or even 1980 in terms of publications that are coming out or even you know projects that are focused on Missouri's black experience? 
let you start that, Gary. Okay, well, it sounds self-serving, but I think, I can't imagine anybody doing uh, basic research in Missouri's Black history without first taking a look at Missouri's Black heritage. Each of the chapters tells the tells a basic story, but it also, for example, I mean, if I was if I was a young student, uh, I'd look at the book just for the suggested readings at the end of each chapter, in terms of knowing where to start. Now, um, I don't know that uh, that Tony Rye has the energy or <laughs> or the longevity to do a, another revision. But the book desperately needs another revision. Yeah, it does. It's, it's yeah. been uh, it's been more than twenty five years since the revision has come out, and there's been again just a tremendous amount of of scholarship. But I I encounter people all the time who reference that book, and who uh, who indicate to me that uh, that their uh, research in a particular topic began. With something they found in Missouri's Black Heritage, we'd have to do it by correspondence. <laughs> you know what's what is kind of interesting though is I remember when we were doing the um, revision, Gary focused on St. Louis and I focused on Kansas City. And what I find is ironic that I ended up in Kansas City when I retired from Lincoln. <laughs> And uh, although, I mean, it's primarily uh, for family, you know, to be close to family, but, but uh, as I recall, uh, that's, that's how we, we, I mean, as far as the two major cities was concerned, how we divided it up, you concentrated on St. Louis and I concentrated on Kansas City. Yeah, I think that was because at the time I was doing a lot of work in St. Louis. I'd uh -huh. done a study of the Bill neighborhood. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, you were doing that. Study. Now, later, uh, because of the uh, the work I was doing with historic sites and also with when uh, a group of us published a dictionary of Missouri biography in 1999, I started oh. becoming very interested in, in Kansas City. And so, mm -hmm. um, I, I know a lot more about Black Kansas City today than I did in 1993 when yeah. that book was published. I'd like to think I know a lot more about everything, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, I won't. I won't say that. I probably know more, a lot more about Kansas City now, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But then there's there's been some wonderful scholarship. You know, there there's just been a lot of really good books written over the last 20 years about the Black experience in Missouri. There are more memoirs. You know, I, I noticed just a week or two ago that Alvin Brooks uh, of Kansas City has just published a memoir. I think Alvin is almost 90 years old. You know, there's, there's books about Black baseball. There's books about some of the Black schools. There, there's just so much. Uh, yeah research that's been generated and published in the last 20 years that, I mean, frankly, uh, somebody could revise Missouri's Black Heritage probably just based on the secondary literature that's been done in the last 20, 25 years. Um, there's been, uh, you know, some good, good works on slavery, uh, Walter Johnson's book on St. Louis. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's just, um, I think it'd be a lot easier 
to work on it now than it was uh, 40 years ago, frankly. Oh, yeah. In fact, they have, um, they have indexed the, the star up here. <laughs> yeah, can't see star, which would have been something we would have loved yeah. to have seen back in, in, in the day. Just, uh, you know, when, when, when we were working on this, Tony, the only indexed newspapers were what you referred to before that index to selected newspaper, Missouri newspapers that stopped uh, about the 1930s. Mm -hmm. uh, if you wanted to do research in newspapers beyond that, and that only indexed a few Missouri newspapers, you just had to plow through rolls of microfilm looking for things. Uh, I, I would say in the last couple of years, one of the most revolutionary things that's facilitated research has been newspapers.com. Um, and the fact that you can do word searches there, and there are hundreds of Missouri newspapers online. I, I, uh, you know, I did a book on James Milton Turner 30 years ago, and every now and then I get on newspapers.com and I just type in his name, and I come up with stuff that I didn't dream was out there uh, 30 years ago when I was working on James Milton Turner. So uh, I think it's a lot easier to do research now. Yeah. Uh, than it was 30 and 40 years ago. And, and just typing. I typed my dissertation on, on a IBM Selectric typewriter. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine doing that now without being able to, uh, you know, to delete a whole page or move a paragraph around or, you know, it, it's just phenomenal what you can do now compared to what you could do when we were first working on that edition. I mean, I remember literally our editor, uh, the, the copy editor at Forum Press, literally did copy and paste. He cut out sections of paragraphs and moved them different places and stapled them to the manuscript and used scotch tape. I mean, it really, you literally did cut and paste. And now you can do that with a few keystrokes. Um, I sound like the old person I am, but um, it, it's truly amazing in that regard how much different it is to, to research and write than it was 40 years ago when we were working on the first edition of Missouri's Black Heritage. Yeah, it has changed, but I can even remember working on my dissertation and it was a lot of cutting and, <laughs> cutting and pasting that was going on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there is a lot. There's what 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 I see now is um, people are are digging in deeper in terms of um, workers, uh, in terms of uh, personalities and such. But not only personalities, but also oh, let's see, um, the more emphasis, like I said earlier, on women. That that's been an important contribution and uh there's just starting to be looking at uh labor again you know in terms of in more depth you know at the local level so i think so, also uh black institutions beyond the church and the school uh you know and the significance of those institutions and the role they played I did some work years ago on the Missouri Industrial Home for Negro Girls, uh, yeah. the Tipton facility, 
that that opened a whole new window of understanding to me. But uh, things like the fraternal and sisterhood lodges that are being studied. Candace O'Connor in St. Louis is about to publish a, what I think is going to be a really good book on Homer Phillips Hospital, oh, a significant yeah. black institution, the black newspapers. Uh, you know, people have always had some interest in black education and the black church, but I think we're seeing now a greater in-depth analysis of yeah. some of the other unique black institutions that existed during yeah. the days of Jim yeah. Crow leading up to the mid-1950s. Deborah Green did the, uh, the the Mitchell family in the August, uh, uh, St. Louis August. And it really hasn't yet been a, a real good analysis, I think, of the Kansas City call up here in, in yeah. Kansas City. It's been a new piece out on um, Mrs. Blueford, but I'm, I'm not. Even, I'm not even sure whether that is going to be the last word, you know, such. But there's much more scholarship. Much more scholarship. Thank you all for joining me. Okay. Thanks for bringing us together, Sean. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.